From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. So week 17, and what I want to talk to you about today is if you didn't catch the opening line of what Chris said, this thing called the kingdom of God. We're, we're, we're Christmas time, right? And I don't just mean here, I mean at home, I mean just in, in life. And it's so easy, isn't it, for Christmas to become the trees and the lights and, and the gifts and the presents and the parties and the cooking and the wrap, you know, all that kind of that good stuff. But, but, but don't you find that sometimes it becomes so all-encompassing and so overwhelming that you end up feeling hollow with it? And it becomes kind of like a shell, right? And, and without something there at its core, it's like even if you can't put your finger on it, something is missing. You, you with me on this one? You know what I'm talking about? Now, I think for some of us, especially those of us who travel in, in church circles, we know that what this day is about is Jesus is born. But sometimes I don't think that really helps. Because what we do is we tend to take like, one set of like celebration, like, like trees and presents and shopping and decoration. And we, we substitute it with a different set of decoration, like certain carols and hymns and in nativity scenes and, and things like this. And it's easy, isn't it? Like at Christmas time, you, you bust out the nativity scene and you're like, okay, cool, like little, little manger thing, and Jesus is there, and oh, sweet little Jesus, you know? And, and it's there, but it still seems like it's less than the totality of what stuff is about. I mean, after all, is this nothing more than a birthday party? Is Christmas nothing more than a time to, to light some candles on a cake and go, way to go, Jesus, 2010, man, you're rocking it, you, you, you know? I mean, you are really old. Um... Or is it something more than that? That's what I want to talk to you about today. And it is rooted out of what Chris just read over here a moment ago, this thing called the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is the nucleus, the heart, the core, the center of what Christmas, and, and I'm going to argue this, what life is all about. So, Jesus comes on the scene. And in Matthew 4, 17, Chris just read it, it says this. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Say it with me. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven. Mark and Luke will call it the kingdom of God. It's all the same thing. It is one sentence, one line. But don't mistake that for it being insignificant. Because this sentence that you're looking at right here is arguably one of the most significant statements in the entire New Testament. The statement that you see right here is the summary of Jesus' ministry. It's how he defined himself. What he was about, his mission, what he was here to do. The statement that you see right here is the heartbeat of the Bible. 
And if you don't understand this statement right here, you are not going to know what God is up to in this world or how he operates. Now, this thing called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, it's probably better worded like this, the reign of God or the reign of heaven. Because when it talks about the kingdom, it's not talking about a place so much as it's talking about an activity. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God is here, he's not going like, yeah, you know, you cross I-80 and, you know, it's kind of like right down there by the toll booth on the left-hand side. He's not like, here's a place to find it. He's talking about something that God is going to establish and do in this world. Now, another warning. It's easy to read a statement like this and go, okay, it's near, cool, what's for dinner? You know, as though it's just this static statement it's missing the thrust of, of what Jesus is getting at here. You got to think about it like this. Upon you, it's advancing. The kingdom of God is in your face. It's what Jesus' ministry was all about. And what I'd like to do with you this morning is unpack what this kingdom is all about and to remind you that a kingdom implies that there's a king. They go hand in hand, don't they? And what it means to look at Jesus' reign as well as what it doesn't mean. Now, if you were to go through the Old Testament, you wouldn't see this phrase, kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. It's New Testament verbiage, but don't let that fool you. It's an Old Testament idea. Kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, it goes by different names in the Old Testament, but I'm telling you guys, it, it is the, the central storyline and it drips off every page. Give me about a minute or two to walk you through the essence of what the Old Testament is about and what it is. Now, the Old Testament is predicated in this, that there is one true God and he has created all things. You see it? He's created it. You don't see it? Guess what? He still created it. All right? He's created all things, and he rules over all. Now, despite the fact that God has created all things and rules over all, for whatever reason, he's chosen to establish that rule, to kind of set it up among a, 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 a chosen group of people that would later be called Israel. And he would exercise that reign or that rule through this chosen people called Israel through, through, through all sorts of people and ways, through their, their prophets and their priests and their kings and their judges and their patriarchs and, you know, and all those kind of guys. And, and the idea behind it was this, that by setting up and establishing his reign through them, God's heart and God's desire was to bring his blessing, his restoration, his salvation. In other words, to bring his reign and his rule to all people, to the world, to the entire cosmos. Now, if you read through the Old Testament, what you're going to see is this. This people called Israel, this people of God, they're constantly screwing it up, messing it up, ignoring it, forgetting it, losing sight of it, fighting against it, rebelling, and doing everything it seems like in, in human power to kind of frustrate, usurp, and derail the kingdom. And it was in the midst of this 
that prophets started to arise. Prophets that started looking forward to what they would call the day. That day. That day that is out there. Some would even call it the day of the Lord. And it would be a day when the Lord would return. A day when he wasn't going to exercise his rule through prophets and priests and judges and kings, but a day when God was going to personally come back to visit his people, establishing his reign, establishing his rule, setting it up and bringing that blessing and promise and goodness and restoration, but also judgment and justice and vindication upon all in his path. That what I described right there is what is tucked in those three words up there called the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. The day or the day of the Lord is the kingdom of God. Makes sense. Now, you can look at these prophets, right? And the Old Testament's loaded with them. Um, you can look at them. And, and they get into the the nitty-gritty of it. They get into the meat of what this day is going to be about in all kinds of ways. Um, I, I want to share just one with you today. Um, he's the queen mother of prophets. He doesn't know that, but he is. Um, his name's Isaiah. He's really, really long, and everything cool Christmas comes. Well, 80% of what's cool Christmas comes out of him. All right? Now, I just want to share with you one chapter out of Isaiah about how he described and looked forward to what this day was going to be like. Are you with me? All right, take a look. This is from Isaiah chapter 35. Let's take a look at this kingdom. This is what they said. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Okay, you know, don't, don't miss this. Wildernesses are dry, barren, desolate places. And the wilderness is just going to like change. It's going to be transformed. It's going to go from being like burning sand to like total oasis. Bubbling springs and pools and life and plants and growth. And kind of like what they're doing in Arizona, Right? It's going to happen out there, and God will come with vengeance and retribution to save. By the way, when you hear vengeance, does it sound like a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, no one likes vengeance, right? Unless you're the one who is seeking retribution, and then vengeance is the best news in the world. It says, the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer. The mute tongues will shout for joy. A highway will be there. Where? In the desert. It will be called the way of holiness. The ransomed of the Lord will return, and gladness and joy will overtake them. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. I don't know about you. I look at that, and I want a piece of that right there. How about you? It is what the prophets looked forward to on that day. Enter John the Baptist. Who is he? He's a prophet. He's also Jesus' cousin. Who is he? He's not just any prophet. He's that prophet who is going to be directly responsible or directly connected to the one who is coming in to usher in that day. Jesus will even call him the greatest of the prophets. What is he coming to do? Well, he's coming to prepare a highway, a way for people to come back to the Lord. Where is he? Where is he? Desert. 
the wilderness. Are certain things starting to come to life up here? As you look at the list, John the Baptist comes and he starts preaching actually the same message that Jesus did. I mean, I guess we can accuse him of plagiarism, but let's not go there, all right? And his message is this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. John said it before Jesus ever did. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is coming upon you. The kingdom of heaven is in your face. And people started seeing this guy named John. He's this crazy man living out in the desert. He's eating locusts. He's like drinking tree sap. It's like messed up stuff, but people are like, I I want a part of that. And he comes in the midst of it, and people start saying, are you the one? Are you the one who's bringing in the day? Check out what John says. It's kind of a long way of saying no. I baptize you with water. I'm going to immerse you in water. But you know, one's coming after me who's more powerful than I, whose sandals, man, I'm not, even, I'm not even worthy to touch this guy's shoes. He will immerse you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. See, John knew what Isaiah was about. John knew what he was about. A voice of one in the desert calling out the restoration, the vindication, the blessing, and the judgment that God was going to bring on that day and that day that was coming soon. So far, so good. So fast forward with me. We're jumping out of Matthew 3 and Matthew 4. And if you were listening to Chris earlier, we're going to fast forward to Matthew 11. A lot's gone down in the plot in this time. See, Jesus comes on the scene at Matthew 4, 17 with from that time on beginning to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And he just starts going to town. He travels all over this region called Galilee. And he's there and he's doing miracles. He's healing people and he's restoring people and he's standing up for people and he's preaching the good news and he's telling people about what this kingdom and this day is going to be like. But do you know where John is at through the whole thing? We forget about the guy, don't we? Do you know where he's at? He's languishing away. I got a picture of it right here. See the top of this mountain? Archaeologists have found ruins on top of this mountain. There's an ancient first century Jewish historian. His name is Josephus. And he writes about John the Baptist. He also writes about Jesus. Very significant considering that he's not a Christian. And he lived at that time. And he writes about how John the Baptist got in the wrong way with the wrong kind of people. See, there was this king, his name was Herod, and it's not the same Herod that was hell-bent on killing Jesus when he was a kid. It's one of his sons. And like, you know, you've heard this, like mother, like daughter, like father, like son. It was true of the Herod dynasty. These dudes were creeps, man. I mean, you didn't want to be like within 20 miles of these guys. And John starts preaching, and he starts standing up against injustice, and he starts calling things out that just aren't right. And have you ever had that moment where you've really regretted saying the right thing because of the context and the company in which you've said it? You ever been there? Have you ever gotten flack, heat, retribution for saying the truth? You know what makes it even worse is if you do it with people that have power, clout, influence, pull, and people without much of a conscience. And Herod didn't like what this guy, John the Bee, had to say. And he imprisons him up here, probably for all of Jesus' ministry. 
Imagine preparing the way and never getting to see it firsthand. For talking about it, and, and, and talking about this, this glorious day when, when sorrow and sighing will flee away, when vengeance and retribution will come, and you're stuck in a prison cell for a year, two years, missing all the goodness of it every step of the way. And think about it if you're a guy like John the Baptist. I mean, I don't know about you. Jail time is not looking good to me. But have you noticed that there's certain people in this world that, I mean, like them in prison would just not work? Like like these free spirit types. It's like, it reminds me of like Bodhi in in Point Break, which by the way is just another phenomenal Christmas movie. And and you got to check, I mean... John the Baptist is Bodhi, man. And, and, you know, no, just here. I told him, you'd go quietly. No! You know, there's no way I can handle a cage, man. I mean, you could just hear John, there's no way I can handle a cage, man. I I mean, come on, come on, it's Christmas. Say it with me. You know, there's just no way I can handle a cage, man. All right, doesn't that just exude like the December snowflake feel to you this morning here? He's languishing away. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, we can get it if he got locked up for wearing camel hair because, man, anyone who does that deserves a little jail time. But for speaking the truth, I, I mean, John is locked up and he's imprisoned and he's locked away and he sends his disciples to Jesus. He sends them with a the question. Are you the one you got to tell me, because i got to know, are you the one, or have I been going down, the, going down the wrong road here? Are you the one that we're supposed to expect, or is there another, because cause my soul right now depends on it, and I don't know if I can do this anymore. And it's absolutely fascinating to me what Jesus does. He doesn't like kind of come up and go, well, well yeah, duh. I mean, really? Nor does he come forward and, and, and pull some kind of like, really, you thought it was me? Could you be that stupid? He doesn't say yes or no at all. Instead, he says this. You know, guys, go back. You go back to John and you tell him what you've seen and what you've heard. The blind will receive sight. The lame will walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Does it sound like anything to you? Is it significant that Jesus takes the very words of the very prophet that define who John is and what he's all about as evidence of who he is and what he's up to? Do you remember what Isaiah had to say? Now take a look at the same list. There's something conspicuously missing if you know Isaiah well enough. I shared with you about five minutes ago a list of things that came out of Isaiah about what this day would be all around. And you're seeing some of them right here before your eyes, aren't you? But there is something that's conspicuously missing. Can you catch what it is? What is going to come on that day? Divine vengeance and retribution to save. 
where all sorrow will be fleeing and sighing will pass away. It's like Jesus is coming to John going, John, I know what you're thinking. And I know you're crying because you're being oppressed here, man. And you're crying for retribution. And you're crying, how long? Oh, Lord. And I'm here to tell you, John, that, that your hope is not foundless, that your faith is not, not based on the rocks. What you thought is happening is happening before your eyes, even if it isn't happening in the totality of that way. It's like Jesus is saying, the kingdom's here, John, but not all the way. The kingdom's here, John, but it's not kind of playing out yet the, wa- the way you thought it was going to play. It's like Jesus is saying, the kingdom is upon you, but it's not really fully here yet. It's inbreaking, and there's something going on. So hang in there, John, because the kingdom is coming. And it might not be here yet, but it is coming full board. And eventually, it's going to be here all the way. Because you know, the reality, guys, is we live in, in this weird age between the kingdoms. Kind of like here in part, but not all the way. And it gets really hard because sometimes we hear about this thing called the kingdom of God, but Jesus just doesn't seem like he's the king, does he? Sometimes it doesn't seem like he's in control. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it's playing out the way he promised it's going to play. Sometimes it doesn't seem like all those things are a reality in life. Sometimes it feels like it's the opposite, doesn't it? And it's interesting because God doesn't come in the midst of that. And he doesn't come in the midst of that and go, oh, no, no, geez, guys, I forgot. I'm so sorry. You know, let me fix that for you so everything's cool. Is that okay? He doesn't do that. Instead, what Jesus does is he invites us to trust that he is who he says he is. And he invites people to trust that the kingdom is eventually going to go his way. Because see, at some point in life, each of us come face to face with the kingdom. You know what I found? When you do, you'll never be the same. But the real question is, when it comes to that point in the kingdom, where it's filled with doubt, how are you going to respond? See, John the Baptist He doubted. He doubted. It wasn't playing out the way he thought it should play. And Jesus comes to him and invites him to trust him, even when he can't see before his eyes the way it's supposed to be. And you know what? We're going to find ourselves there too. We're going to find ourselves in those same places, wondering, doubting. And in that moment, the question is this. Will you trust him and hold on? Or are you throwing the towel? Give it up to despair. Resign yourself. Walk away. See, John never got to see the kingdom. 
Not all the way. John died waiting. He lost his head. You might find yourself in a place where you're going to lose your head too. Or facing the worst of what the kingdom of darkness can throw at you. And it's in that moment that each of us has to decide how to respond. Jesus came to John and invited him to trust his word against the backdrop of the Old Testament and what he had been saying. He gave him just enough to hold on to. And God will do the same with me and you. Man, we pray and we want God to just kind of like show up, don't we? We want him to show up, give us irrefutable proof, lay it all out. Man, this is the way it is. Look, look, I mean, you can't deny it. But what I've come to realize is that God gives just enough. Oftentimes just enough to hold on to and inviting us to trust him the rest of the way. That right there, guys, is what the season is all about. That's what's beating and pulsing behind this thing called Christmas. And Jesus' invitation is still out there. Repent. Turn to me. Because the kingdom's coming. It's upon you. Now, I'm going to invite the band to come back forward. You know, and maybe you're here at that crossroads today. Maybe this is the first time you thought about Christmas this way. I just want to invite you, if you are face-to-face with the kingdom, to come to God in that place right now. Would you rise with me, please? And uh, let's just pray. Lord, Lord Jesus, you, you said the kingdom was upon us, but we look and it often doesn't seem to be that way. We see your work and we see the ways you're moving. But God, we, we face things and we struggle and we suffer and, and God, each of us knows deep in our hearts that it's not here all the way. God, may we not let go of hope, of yearning, of longing. God, may we cling to you and your promise, trusting it when we find ourselves in prison, ready to lose our head. Lord Jesus, you said that you are king and that you are king of kings. May we recognize your kingdom here today. Amen.